Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hey, culture friend, thank you for checking in. Um, we've done quite a few podcasts recently. If this is your first time listening, basically, I speak to people. Everyone up to this point has been a friend or a friend of a good friend. So it's been um, a bit more, well, just different, really. Um, but we talk about, you know, getting into subculture and counterculture, um, bringing that along with you, fucking like funny stuff that's happened along the way in life. Basically, I just really think that everyone has uh, a story to tell about their lives and I try and ease it out of people, some easier than others. But yeah, so this one um, was with Andy Hurley, a drummer of like important bands, like I guess importantly culturally in the world Fallout Boy um, importantly in the subculture of hardcore punk and straight edge bands like Race Traitor um, yeah it was amazing really so like a bit of a uh, backstory so Liam who um, at Liam C Audio on Twitter who um, edits this podcast uh, him and I were on we're in a band together for years and our biggest influence was, was probably Fallout Boy so you know, it's all been nice since that band's finished to have something slightly creative, well, together to do. Basically, I say that he, I just, he, unfortunate enough that he edits my podcast. But like, it's all, it's nice that this thing that we do has, it's cool that like Andy Hurley's on the podcast basically with that. Um, shout out Andy, really. I emailed him because um, we had a mutual friend. Uh, and years ago, I like reached out to my mutual friend, and Andy was like, "Yeah, let, hit, here's my email." And then, like years later, I was like, "Oh, fuck it, I'll use this email." And like, he's been the most responsive person probably ever to do a podcast. So, thanks for that. It was really interesting. Like, I really am totally intrigued uh, by the idea of um, radical politics infiltrating pop culture. Um, we spoke a bit off air about bands like Chawamba Wamba and the House Martins, Beautiful South, uh, even like the Style Council and like things like that, where those bands were and like the way that they approached it. Um, so it was amazing to hear his side of things, um, as well as just like other stuff that I find interesting. So hopefully you do too. If you like it, please tell your friends. Again, if this is the first time you listen to this podcast, maybe scroll back through. Um, you might find some stuff that you find really interesting. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, take care and we'll have more of these really soon. Bye. Hey, Andy, how are you? Doing well. Cool. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, so how's like this situation been for you? Uh I'm sure it's like everyone else. It's it's kind of existentially dreadful and depressing, but also I, I don't know. It's just interesting. There's there's just so much 
I mean, it, it's boring at times, you know, being getting pretty stir crazy at different times. I'm actually pretty good at, um, I always have a lot of stuff to do. Obviously touring, there's a lot of downtime. So I'm pretty used to, you know, entertaining myself, you know, and I live with my partner and our two dogs. So that helps a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't know when I'm going to tour next. I don't know when, I mean, I just read a thing um, on a few different sites that are pushing it out um, that touring or concerts won't happen until fall of 2021. I saw that earlier as well. Yeah, that's wild. And that that was really, that kind of fucked me up. Yeah, it kind of ruined my day yesterday. And and I'm okay with it. And of course, I don't want to tour until it's safe. And I think that is probably a sensible um, timeline just because I don't think it's going to be possible until there's a vaccine that's like on the streets and really dealing with the uh, infection rate. Um, obviously, I, I think the timeline, at least with in regards to like other things, maybe not concerts or whatever, could be shortened if like, you know, our governments would have dealt with this differently. And, you know, here in the States, there's still no mass testing, which is just insane. Um yeah. I mean that that would be a huge factor in in uh flattening the curve or whatever if there was mass testing like South Korea like uh I think Ireland had mass testing that that's really helped there from what talking to a friend who told me that yeah. but I don't know that that stuff's all kind of a mind fuck to think about like not that it's a surprise obviously you know especially the states does not care about human life, but you know, hopefully now that it's on full display, like regular people who don't really think about that kind of stuff, see it for what it is. And hopefully on the other side of this, we make something better. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely a, when I'm like thinking about how shit it is, I'm just like, well, there is hope. There is a, there are strains of hope where you're like, I mean, yeah, for like a bigger change. You're like this, you know, you always, you're always looking for like, what's it going to be the thing that kicks this off? And then you're like, well, this, I mean, I can't imagine anything bigger and more like politicizing and radicalizing than like this situation right here around the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I guess like you'd imagine that like, um, like cons like when it's like no like I guess it's just no mass gatherings for so long. Um I guess smaller shows are obviously obviously like one hundred people can gather and then that opens up a thing and it opens up a bigger thing. But like um I know that you were do was it like a were you doing a world tour with like Green Day and Weezer? It's like yeah. that's yeah. like not that's not like a, a small thing, is it? That's like everywhere huge kind of situation. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that yeah. it ha there's no official word on that tour yet. I just can't imagine it happening because everything's still shut down. And, you know, reading that article definitely kind of put the nail in the coffin for that. But <clears throat> I'll probably get in trouble from management for saying this, but probably not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think okay, that's well, pretty well, obvious, but... <laughs> 
Um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll 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 take the conversation somewhere else at that point then. Um, so um, you're from like Chicago area, am I right? Uh, yeah, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is like an hour and a half north of Chicago. Okay, sweet. And um, I guess uh, so. Like so, I guess we'll start with like, have you? How? When did you start drumming? Uh, probably. I I can't even remember. Fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. I, I was yeah. drumming. I know I was drumming when I went into middle school, which is sixth grade in the States, but I couldn't, the drum section was like filled up. So I played saxophone for the first okay. year of middle school. And then I played in the percussion ensemble after that. Yeah. So always then, I guess. And was that, were you into music early as well? Would you say, well, early, but like, was you always into like your own music? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I went record shopping with my sister when I was, I want to say, 1985, 86. So I was six, five or six years old. And I think that's, it was around the time Ride the Lightning came out, maybe like a year after, but I got it on vinyl. And that was kind <laughs> of the, the, the album and the band that made me want to do this so i i feel like from a really early age you know being a musician or being a drummer is all i wanted to do that's incredible and uh, it's always like seemed f- for me like from the outside looking at like um like was like metal your way into like the subculture of like punk and hardcore yeah absolutely i got into thrash metal and then death metal and then like through this magazine in the States called metal maniacs, they'd have ads for like agnostic front records and sick of it all records. And then, so I got into that a little bit, but then it was really when like victory records and their early slate of like earth crisis and strife earth crisis was really the band that got me into hardcore because it was so metallic yeah. I guess I guess prior to that I was into like Revelation Records stuff like Youth of Today and Bold. And because I guess kind of simultaneously I got into punk first. So like okay. Epitaph and Fat Records and you know Bad Religion, No Effects, stuff like that. Yeah. And um so I guess um yeah, so you like got into like the rev stuff and then found like because I guess some of that rev stuff definitely pushes to like is definitely like the metal side of like metal influenced, but I guess yeah. like rev is like also like pretty pretty punk as well. Where obviously you know you've got bands in that scene as well that were like pretty metal, and then Earth Crisis is just like cool. This is well, it's metal, isn't it? But with, yeah, I mean, definitely at the time, at the time it was pretty. It was like the heaviest band in hardcore for sure. So, and that kind of is also what introduced me to straight edge and obviously veganism. Yeah. And, and do you think, is that what introduced you to like radical politics as well? No, I, I think that came sooner. Uh, Rage Against the Machine was the band that introduced that to me. And I remember Evil Empire, there's a picture of like a bunch of books and I went out and tracked down every book I could find from that list. Um, And then, you know, Propagandi 
uh, when I got yeah. into like punk was a huge factor in that. But I think Earth Crisis kind of coalesced all of that with like, you know, the kind of the human liberation aspect with the, like the animal liberation and earth liberation side of it that really spoke to me at that time. Yeah. That's, and were you, did you have a group of friends or was that just like you finding this thing and like pushing on with it? And then the rest of your friends are like, no, no, I'm still like loving this, like you for today record. But like you, you go with that over there kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I had some friends that were maybe more on the punk side. Um, when I was getting into like earth crisis and stuff, uh, I was definitely like the only straight edge person I knew but there was like this kid in my high school who was like I thought the coolest person ever who got me into like Revelation Records stuff and then like Epitaph stuff I think he was kind of the one that introduced me to a lot of that um but then of course uh you know when I became straight edge and and vegan like I made a like a new group of friends yeah and yeah, kind of that's that's where i really found like you know my people i guess yeah yeah and um were you playing in any any bands at this point as well um yeah when i first went straight edge i i met a group of people through a mutual friend that this was before i was vegan who were all vegan straight edge and they knew i was a drummer so they asked if i'd play in a band with them which was like one of my first real bands, Kill the Slave Master. And then through those guys is how I met Race Trader and started playing with them. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was playing, you know, as soon as I could with, with friends. I had bands before that that were, you know, uh, sounded like you'd expect for, you know, I was like 14, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess like yeah, doing a a band like called like Kill the Slave Master, you're not you're not fucking around at that point, are you? Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then um, yeah, joining Race Trade. Are you? So they were a band before you joined, right? Yeah, they were more of a grindcore band before I was in it, and then um, Carl, like the main guitarist, songwriter, and Kill the Slave Master, played drums for them then, and he wanted okay. to play guitar, so he we went down and I practiced with them and like, we all hit it off super well. That was it. And then they became a lot more metal based and kind of like a lot of like suffocation, morbid angel influence, I think in the songs at that point. Yeah. Deicide. Yeah. So I guess like, um, I mean, there must be so many bands that are like, um, sound a certain way because of the drummer that's in in their band and i'm not saying that your your friend on guitar that went to guitar was like but like was it like oh well we can like really push this sound this place because we've got andy drumming for us now yeah i think that's probably a part of it i definitely think you know the makeup of the musicians affects the music um so yeah i, I think that's true um, but I would say that Carl's like, he's kind of like Will Hunting from Good Will Hunting, where he's just the best <laughs> at everything he does. <laughs> so I, I think he almost kind of, uh, affected the change 
from kind of like just really fast, spazzy grindcore, super short, like 30 second songs. He kind of is like the major like 90s, more a sound death metal guy that kind of pushed it in that direction, I think, at the time. Yeah. So I think it was both both things. Yeah. And with like with Race Traitor, was um was it obviously it was clear what, what the band was about when you joined. But um I mean I feel like and I've spoken to some other like some friends of mine on this podcast and just in general when they've been in bands that like have a clear message and you know, like you're coming you're coming up and it's like is it was it a constant conversation within the band on like how the band wants to what it's trying to say or like, and how it's saying it? Or was it like that you had a front person that was like, this is like my vision kind of thing? I think it was definitely a a conversation between everyone, which we were all, you know, activists at the time and all of them still are in different ways. Um, So I think that was a really important part of our activism as well was just kind of struggle sessions and, and talking things over and, and, you know, figuring out the right approach to it. Um, before I joined the band, it, it was a pretty controversial band that would just call people out like in the crowd. So everyone kind of hated the band, which I think was maybe phase one in their minds, because once I joined, you know, I was kind of at the tail end of that, but it started transitioning to being, more of an actual conversation. I mean, still okay. the most important part of the show being the talks between songs over the songs themselves. Um, but yeah, I think the the direction and, and the politics of the band were always something that were, you know, talked about and mutually agreed upon. Yeah. I, I, um, I do. I do also think, you know, I was like 15 when I joined, I think, or maybe 16, I guess 16 because I was driving. So I was, Definitely looking, you know, the other guys are a couple years, a few years older than me. So I was definitely looking up to them and probably not adding as much as them, if much at all. But, you know, they always took, you know, my perspectives in, into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you said like Race Traitor was controversial and obviously, <laughs> I guess like the bat like the myth of race myth might be the wrong word but like the legend of race traitor as a band before you got together like oh like there's this you know old like there's this record that you should hear race traitor they were like this they were like that um obviously the 90s was there were you weren't there were a lot of bands that were like talking about things that made people uncomfortable, whether it was like earth crisis that we've already like touched upon, whether like in Chicago, like you had crude os as well and bands like that. But like, um, but so, but like you said, like, so race traitor, like was, cause my question was going to be like, was it controversial or has time, like has the legend made it more than it is, but like clearly it was controversial then as a band and as an approach. It was. Yeah. It, it was yeah. definitely controversial at the time. I mean, I know they got like maximum rock and roll cover and heart attack because not because anyone there liked the band. They hated the band. So they just, I mean, I think it kind of, I think the point of it was get in everyone's face, piss everyone off, call everyone crackers 
and say everyone is the problem because then, you know, when you just go to a show and the band saying the thing that you already agree with, you go home and nothing changes. When you mm. go to a show and the band's like yelling at you and telling you you're a piece of shit, like you go home and hate them, but you're thinking about it. And, you know, maybe the end result isn't great, but maybe it is. Maybe the end result makes you like question things, you know, like these uh, <clears throat> built in assumptions you had about the world. I mean, I definitely think at the time, you know, the politics of race trader, I think if you were to uh, boil it down is, you know, America is a white supremacist system is built on white supremacy is built on the backs of, of people of color and, you know, marginalized people. I think that was not as like, now it makes sense. Now people kind of caught up to that and understand that, but 20, 25 years ago, that was not a thing, you know, on a, on a bigger level, wasn't being talked about. So I think, I think that, that was the point that, that was the, the goal was to, wasn't that, you know, race trader was a bunch of dicks. They just wanted to shake people up and really have people think about it. But yeah, it it was definitely, and it was before the worst stuff I think was before I was in it, but there were definitely like fights and, you know, some pretty, uh, crazy standoffs between people and stuff. I know, uh, Chris, the singer of sect, uh, when he was in left for dead at the time, you know, was at a show talking shit to Ray Strader, which was a funny thing, you know, that we talked about when, <laughs> yeah, when I, you know, became friends with Chris years after. But, you know, we were young, like you're, you're full of anger and rage. And, and I think that's kind of the point. You got to get it out there. Yeah. And um, so as you've like, um, yeah, because it's like, um, I guess you're it's, it's good to have that. Con- it's like, OK, so for the last five years, I've come to shows here and I've seen a many a anti-racist band, but I'm going to question what that actually means and like. And I think that, well, from my experience, you know, like when I've learned the most about myself and my own like inbuilt, um, like shitty attitudes is from like someone saying something being like super defensive, whether like just in my mind going over again or like verbally going back at someone and then being like, why is that really pissed me off? Um, and then you like kind of take that down and you're like, it pisses me off cause I know that I'm the person in the wrong, but why is that? And then you, you work on it and you work on it. Obviously not everyone works on it. Some people don't, they're just like, okay, like, fuck you. I don't agree with you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so one race trader came back, like have, was it, did it take a minute to work out like, the the things that we last time we played a show we were saying this like we're jumping 15 20 years later and like you've said now those conversations have moved on so much that you don't need to make like those converse, you don't need to make those conversa- those conversations at your show so it's did it take you a while to kind of understand where what race trader was trying to say in 2017 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think what you're saying that the culture kind of caught up to what Richard is talking about, which is definitely true, but, uh, coming, doing a reunion or, you know, something like that was always something we kind of bounced around at different points, but just never happened. But it was really Trump being elected and, you know, a lot of the far right currents, uh, popping up, you know, across the globe at that time and, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, a lot of these things leading up to Trump being elected really made it seem like now's the time that we have to come back. So, you know, while I think the culture definitely caught up to the politics of race trader, I think that was, it it was a more important time than ever to be talking about those things nonetheless. So, you know, I think it was kind of built in what we had to talk about, which was, you know, there's a creeping fascism with with Trump and, and with, you know, a lot of the, the currents that we're seeing, you know, across the globe and, you know, we have to fight back and, and, and talking about it on stage isn't enough. I think was the, it has been the main point of what race has been saying now. It's like, you know, we're sitting up here saying these things, but the important part is, uh, you know, getting on the streets and doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So rather than like talking to like making those people in front of you, calling them out, um, it's about, the 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 culture at large you know we've we've had the same people that are like we've had this yeah we we know now that people are fucking just as more there's more fascists now than there ever has been or and they're yeah yeah um yeah that's really yeah i think that's super interesting and uh amazing and then i guess um like so race trade of how come it did come to an end first time round? Um, I think for me, uh, I can't even really remember. We just kind of grew apart a little bit. Uh, the hardcore scene was kind of turning into something. It, it wasn't as like politically based. It, it was becoming kind of more of an aesthetic fashionable thing, like fashion based thing, um, which just mm. wasn't, what any of us were into it for. And just like time, you know, I, I started college. I was doing a bunch of other bands that I kind of wanted to put a little more time into. Um, so it just kind of ran its course at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess um, moving on to like, um, like the start of Fallout Boy, I guess. Um, there's like a, there's a video that I've found years ago online where like you're, I guess it's before um, takes your grave comes out and you're playing like a show with like suicide file, hope con misery signals, bands like that. Is that kind of where fallout boy found themselves when you started? Like you played the shows that you as people were going to. Yeah. I mean, we're all like hardcore kids. Pete was in race trader, like at different times filling in on bass and stuff. So we were just like, you know, kids from the hardcore scene. Um, you know, I think doing Race Trader and a lot of bands like that, that were so serious and kind of 
you know, based on this negative emotion of anger and like rage, you know, justifiably so. But I, I think we just wanted to do a band that was fun and not as, you know, negatively serious. Um, <clears throat> and obviously like newfound glory kind of coming from the hardcore scene and stuff, you know, made us want to do like a pop punk band. So we're, yeah, at the time we're just playing shows with friends of ours and different hardcore bands and stuff. Yeah. And then, um, did that start changing just because fallout boy started reaching people organically itself that weren't part of the hardcore scene? Yeah, definitely. I think, we just got to a point where, you know, for us, it, it was a really slow evolution and build to, to what it's become. But I think maybe on the outside, it looked fast. But, you know, at the time, back in those days, when we really started touring, it was like 300 days a year. Um, mm. And then, you know, as the tours got bigger, like you were just touring with other bands in a similar scene and genre, I guess. Yeah. So it just yeah. kind of naturally happened that we were playing more shows with other, you know, Chicago pop punk bands and then touring with other, you know, pop punk bands, you know, from around the States and whatnot. Yeah. And I guess like, um, yeah. And w- would, would you find yourself like, obviously, like you've said, like the people in Fall Out Boy are like from the hardcore scene, um, and like, there's quite a, there's quite a lot of bands from around that time that are, would you find yourself, would, would it, would you like find yourself going towards those bands where you, you're like, Oh, we kind of come from the same place. Or was it just like, that's just where it happened to be. Obviously pop punk is, does have a lineage from punk. So there was quite a few bands like that at the time. Yeah. I think around the time we came up, there were, you know, there was kind of a scene of pop punk comprised of like kids from the hardcore scene and, and, you know, still is to this day. So I I think we definitely kind of all found each other and, you know, it, it became its own scene as well. Yeah. Have you, um, so, uh, I guess like, have you ever had when you're like in one of these places where you're like, think like hardcore punk couldn't be further from this. And then someone comes up and they're like, Oh shit. Like, and you'd like start talking to someone you're like, Oh cool. This person's like down with this kind of like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, um, yeah. Any strange, you're like, Oh fuck. I didn't know this person would have been into like hardcore back in the day. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, just in general, like in the bigger mainstream culture, there's just so many people I've met through doing this, like, you know, playing some TV show, there's some like producer or or someone working, you know, the camera or whatever, that's like a straight edge kid or something. So I definitely, it's weird how, you know, the, the scene I grew up in kind of, there's so many people from that, that are like seeds that have gone out into the world and, and like are doing, you know, crazy things you wouldn't expect. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um and um yeah so obviously so your second record uh with fallout boy is on like island which like a like major label record so did that give you like more so i guess when i like from me again like looking outside um when i listened to from under the cork tree compared to like take this to your grave 
when I think of like drums, I'm like, the drums are so much more, there's so much more to the drums. Like even, um, like I always still to this day when I hear it actually like fixate on like, um, there's this like pre-chorus drum bit in no one puts baby in the corner mm-hmm. where like you play four straight and then the next four are like doing like this really cool thing goes back to straight. And it just feels like, would, did you have a lot more time with that record because it was like label backs, you like, right, we've got the time to write this record. You could do more things with drums. Or is that just because like you just played more, you just played different stuff on that record? Uh, I think it's both. I think we did have, because it was our first record for major, it still wasn't the pressure of like a sophomore record, even though it was essentially our sophomore record. Um, so, but I think, so we had a lot more time with it, but also we had been playing together so much more that I think there was more of a, a chemistry between us and like more of an understanding of, of, you know, how we work together as musicians for, mm. for that record, maybe then take this to your grave. I mean, I don't know. That's hard to say because I was in it. And also it's so far distant. I can't even remember what we haven't played. Yeah, Nobody course. puts baby in the corner so long. I don't even remember <laughs> what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I'll have yeah. to listen to it after this. Um, and, uh, um, with, uh, yeah, was, um, like signing to a major label. I'm not like, I'm just, to was there any of that like i feel like there's always that like ian mckay punk guilt on your corn on your shoulder like did you ever like was it was it strange being like oh this is like a different situation that like five years ago or like when i was 16 playing in race trailer i thought it would be like x amount of years later yeah i mean it was totally crazy i never thought that would happen but i also think i mean I, there's a few things this is always what I've wanted to do. So like, I guess that's the way, you know, that you have more of a stable job is in a situation like that. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm okay with it. I've always understood. I don't feel like I've ever really had the attitude of like, you know, fuck this band for signing to a major or whatever. I've always like understood, you know, what that means for that band or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you know, it being our first record and, and it was kind of, a, um, we signed a fuel by ramen with a kind of a, uh, deal with Island that, you know, they would have the right of first refuse or whatever. If, if we went up for, for the next record, if Island wanted it, they'd take the next record. So it yeah. kind of felt like a natural extension, but at the same time, you, you kind of, you know, record this record knowing that, Maybe they'll shelf it. Maybe they'll think it sucks. And, you know, there's no guarantee that just because you're signed to a major that it means anything. You know, like, majors just kind of throw money everywhere to sign every band in a scene, in a genre or a scene that's, like, blowing up to see what works and what doesn't. So I think it's kind of a crapshoot. Um, okay. You know, like, it's it's not guaranteed that you know, there's a lot of other bands that we were coming up with at the time that, you know, it didn't work out and aren't still around. So not, not to say anything about the quality of the bands. It's just, 
there's a lot of luck and you know it's a roll of the dice i think in that situation mm, yeah yeah um and um so um like you're um well i don't know if outspoken is the right word but like you're like um you wear like being an anarchist on your sleeve with yeah. um and um like again like i'm not like like you said like um like I just think, like, um, how is like navigating being in a band as with in the juggernaut of the music industry, with like also like that in the back of your mind? Like, obviously, it like you've said, it is a job. You get to do the thing that you love, um, and you get like all the perks with that. And but but also you get to do that with like the integrity of knowing that you get to make those choices in what you do as well. Does that make sense? I hope it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So absolutely. yeah. Yeah. How is I, navigating the music industry as an anarchist? Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, like you said, I get to do what I love with my friends and we, we've been really lucky to be able to do what we want and haven't had like some directive from on high telling us we have to write this or that or change, you know, these lyrics or change this song, unless it's things that we've decided to do, um, which is really cool. Um, I think it's cool to be in a position to like hire our friends to be, you know, like our techs, like, you know, one of my best friends who's a drummer, Misery Signals, uh, Brandon Morgan is my drum tech. Um, which kind of is a more recent thing because he's the best drummer I know. So I never wanted to take him away from that. But at some point I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to ask him to do it because he's the dude I want to do it. And he's, you know, great at tuning drums and stuff. But I do feel bad. But now I guess it's superfluous because no one's doing anything in music. But uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it, You know, from the outside looking in, it probably seems like a huge contradiction. But I think living under capitalism, like, that's not really a choice. We all live under it and have to work and have to sell our labor and whatever, you know, at least if, if people can find things they love to do and do it and, and make it work, I think that is important. But, uh, I think it gives me a platform to be able to talk about those things. Even if fall boy isn't specifically about any politic, I think it's, you know, is about a general politic of like, when, you know, understanding that we all feel alienated in different ways and we're all misfits in different ways and that, you know, there is something out there to not, to hopefully help you not feel so alone, um, I think is the basic politic if you were to ascribe a politic to Fall Out Boy. Um, but again, like personally, I can say what I want and I do and I, you know, talk about it in, in contexts like this. Um, and I think, you know, thinking back to the bands that inspired me to be vegan straight edge or to get into different politics or whatever, like that's hugely important. And, you know, who, who knows like what effect that will have on kids who decide to like look into different things, you know, I talk about and, and how it can affect their lives or make it better or how they can affect change in the world and make the world better. So I think 
I mean, I do struggle with it. I do have this guilt that maybe I'm not doing enough, but you know, I guess this is my, um, this is my, uh, what's the word? My offering to, to the world is, is having these platforms, you know, the different bands I do to talk about the different things that we talk about and to get, you know, the information out there about whatever, whether it's veganism or straight edge or anarchism or, you know, how capitalism sucks and, you know, shit like that. The, the problem like civilization and, you know, the, the foundational problem of that itself, you know, just stuff for people to kind of maybe change their perspective and their perception of things. I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think that music is a like, well, if I'm speaking about myself and the people that I surround myself with, like music is like the perfect gateway to that. And, you know, how many records of that record is like Rage Against the Machine sold that we talked about earlier, but there's going to be a certain amount of those are like people, you know, I, I just like, you know, people that are like, nerds about things and you know you like look into this band and like whether it takes you back to revelation records or it takes you to all of those books that are in there or and and then the same with like fallout boy definitely like you know like you're wearing a t-shirt of a band oh let's oh okay like you know most people are like oh cool i really love this band and then some people are like, oh, what's the, what's that t-shirt and then you go a bit further and then before you know it you're part of a subculture that is and which is like informing you like you said is informing people and to question things and like mate and that comes from gateways everywhere doesn't it yeah absolutely and i mean if if the only thing it does is make people feel less alienated i think that's hugely important because civilization and capitalism and all these uh forces kind of do nothing but instill alienation in us and you know, to be able to be a part of a subculture, a musical subculture that, you know, brings a community that you've never had before. I think that's, that saved my life. I I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for punk and hardcore. Um, and you know, the vegan straight edge and, and all of that stuff, or, you know, finding like CrossFit has been hugely important. And if, 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 you know, some kid who's, you know, dealing with, you know, different, kinds of depression or whatever finds fitness and uh as as a way to kind of deal with those stresses and and things like that that's super important um you know just on an individual basis but uh yeah hopefully you know like you said people you know find out stuff about you know you get really nerdy about the bands you listen to and want to know what they're into and and what inspired them and which is, you know, how I came to be who I am. And, you know, hopefully, you know, kids are getting into those different things or into activism, you know, taking to the streets to like change something on a real level. Uh, All of those things I think are important. Yeah, for sure. And um, like, so you um, own your own business now, right? A coffee shop. Am I right? Yep. Um, So that like that sounds like it could be like like you say am I doing enough but that sounds like that could definitely be an outlet to like to find yourself in a position to 
again like make other people's lives like the people that work for in the coffee shop like better and like things like that have you found that that's a great way of doing that kind of thing as well yeah totally i mean i think for me i feel like it's kind of like wealth redistribution in a way where you know i kind of started it to hopefully it is successful enough and i'll just give it to my friends who kind of went into it with me um you know i don't care about it as a I don't care about it in the context of like making profits from it. I care about it in the context of, you know, my friends and I wanted a vegan coffee shop in Portland and there wasn't really a specifically vegan coffee shop in Portland, which is kind of weird. Um, But also to be able to like, you know, have, you know, friends working together and doing this thing they love, you know, I wanted to give that to my friends in the same way I have it in music. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I approach it. Like, you know, now that, uh, we've been on lockdown and we've been closed for a few weeks, like I'm still paying everyone, uh, you know, just the same because that's fair. I got health insurance for everyone because, that's super important. And, you know, I, I just think it's a way like I can kind of get back to my friends and, and people I care about with this thing that, yeah. you know, we all love, we all love coffee. We all, <laughs> you know, it, it's something that is fun and, and important to do for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, at the moment it seemed like, seems like you're in like a lot of bands. And a lot of them seem to be like dotted around, like the members are dotted around places. Um, do you do any bands where it's like, you know, when you were like young and like, right, we're going to practice once a week in our hometown or is it all one of, is it all a little bit dotted around? It's all over the place. It would be awesome yeah. to have a band here in Portland where I live, but uh, I don't know. It just hasn't happened. For whatever yeah. reason, I, I know, you know, I know a lot of people in like the hardcore scene and stuff who maybe I could, but I guess at this point I'm just in so many bands. I don't really have the time or the mental capacity to do anymore. And I, and I think yeah. the ones that have happened, like, obviously I have my, you know, my main band and which is my day job. And then I have the damn things, which kind of is, you know, really connected to that with Joe being like, the main person in the damn things. And then sect being a band that came about, um, having toured with or filled in for earth crisis and doing a tour, filling in for another hardcore band. That was a tour with a band that Chris, uh, who sings for sect was in, um, and just, you know, being friends with the other guys and then race trader being a band I did that, you know, reunited, so, you know, it wasn't anything, it, it all kind of naturally came about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess if there's like, if any of those bands kind of take a, take a backseat or, or stop really being active, you know, there's a chance I'd do that. Because I, I do kind of miss that, like having weekly practice. I definitely don't practice a lot when I'm home because I don't have, you know, a uh, a routine like that, like a reason to really do it unless like I'm getting ready for a tour. And I guess that's also because I'm playing 
I mean, not anymore. I don't know the next time I will play a show, which is kind of existentially depressing. But uh, when I am, you know, active with, with bands and stuff, like the last year and a half have been the busiest in my entire life. Like I've been doing all four bands almost every month, which is, <laughs> it's been, it's almost been too much. Like I kind of approach it, in the way that I don't ever want to look back at some point and regret not doing as much as I could, which is, you know, why I'm trying, I always try to like do whatever I can, whenever I can, if I have, you know, a a lull in my schedule, I'll just, you know, do something with a different band, but it, it definitely was starting to wear on me. So, you know, I guess one silver lining of the lockdown has been a, a much needed, you know, mental and physical uh, break to to really rest and relax in a way that I kind of need, you know, was needing more and more as as things just weren't slowing down. Yeah, and um, I guess um, like it, I'd imagine like with sect with like yeah, just say sect like the people you're in a band with, you must like. Um, is it just a case of flying, try and practice, and then start a tour? Yeah, pretty much. The way that I guess all the bands really work at this point is, you know, the songwriters will write stuff and demo stuff on, you know, whatever, GarageBand or Logic or whatever, and then send the the tracks to everyone. Everyone kind of learns it. This is for writing, and then we'll get together, you know, maybe once or twice before recording and then go record. Uh, It can be different depending on the band. Like there's, especially lately with some of the Fall Out Boy songs, I'll go into the studio not having heard the song and I'll learn it in the studio. Like I'll listen to it twice and then I'll record it. Um, But, you know, I think that the more modern Fall Out Boy stuff is kind of a mix of, of elements musically. So it it kind of lends itself to being able to, uh, you know, have drum, like my live drums mixed with like program drums. So I can, you know, maybe it's more about transitional fills than it is. I mean, pop music kind of is, can be pretty easy, you know, which I I like actually. I really love some of my favorite drummers. I like Chuck Biscuits from Danzig and Phil Rudd from ACDC and just these really simplistic drummers that play exactly what the music needs, which is how I approach that. Uh, I guess how I try to approach every band I'm in to some extent because I I can have a problem kind of reeling myself back. So I think it, it lends itself to it. Obviously, like a band like Sect or Race Trader, you know, maybe there's a little more time that it needs to kind of learn the parts. There's a little more going on, but, uh, that that's for like the writing process. It's, it is mainly, you know, demoing stuff and then sending it via Dropbox and, and learning it and kind of hashing it out that way. But for like tours and stuff, yeah, we just fly in the night before practice, like run through the set once or twice. And then, do the tour yeah yeah um 
Amazing. And I mean, it must be nice, like, at set practice when you're looking around and you're like, oh, shit, that's like the guy from The Swarm. Or like, oh, like, it's so cool that I, like, filled in for some friends in Earth Crisis and now we're, like, getting to write our own songs. Yeah. I think initially it was like that. I think at this point, you know, we've been doing it long enough, but I I definitely still look at it like, this is really fucking cool. I I get to be in a band with these guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess um, really that's probably, um, I guess we've, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, But uh, so we can like um, kind of wind down there really, but um, it's like, I guess I can't really be asking. So what have you got coming up if, um, (laughs) yeah, because that's kind of, kind of a died on its ass that question. Yeah, totally. I mean, we'll see. It, it seems like I know for sect, uh, we're talking about, you know, it was brought up like doing something for this, but I think the weight or the gravity of the situation is just kind of killing their songwriting ability. Like they're just having a hard time writing. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause it's mainly Scott and Jimmy who write the music. Um, like they get together and do that. So we'll see. It, it just, I don't know. And then there's the matter of like, how do we even record at this point? We can't really get together and do it. Um, I just yeah. got like a, I just got like a Roland V drum kit. So hopefully, you know, mess around with that and be able to write with all the different bands and at some point, but you know, there's nothing happening now, but I'm sure if this goes on as long as it seems like it's going to, you know, we're going to have to, you know, start writing stuff in that context. Like, well, you know, what else, what else is there to do? (laughs) Yeah. Whilst also being conscious that, you know, you see some people, this is the time and you're like, no, like, obviously, yeah, being conscious it's a really shit time. So let's not have that Protestant work ethic of do this, do that because we've got the time. But also if you've got it, if you've, if you've got the inspiration with it, then there's nothing better to to spend that inspiration on. Is there? Yeah, totally. Definitely. Cool. Um, could, um, what, uh, so sex released a record last year, didn't they? Um, And Race Trader, have you, was it was it 2018 your last record? I think so. I think that makes sense. 2018. Yeah. So there's a few records uh, of yours that people can get hold of at the minute. But um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I and, just, oh, well, I guess one thing is Race Trader does have like. Well, first off, I think there's like a four way split that maybe just came out or is coming out soon with Neckbeard Death Camp. Uh, Witch Closet, I think, and Hagathorn. And then Race Trader has another album recorded. It's just a matter of, I think there may be some vocals that still need to be done, but that's definitely something that can be done anywhere. So I do think another Race Trader record will come out this year, maybe, or next year or something, depending. So yeah, I guess there's still stuff coming up i just don't know exactly when yeah 
yeah um i just want to yeah say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me it, and yeah, of um, course. thank you yeah you were so receptive from the strange email that you must have got yeah. out of nowhere so i really <laughs> appreciate it that's <laughs> no, all good i really appreciate you asking i mean yeah you I, know, I i think it's good to during these times to kind of you know connect with people and and talk about shit so definitely helping you know me get through this time so i'm stoked that you asked me to do it cool uh thank you andy i appreciate that and um i guess we'll stop the uh the podcast here cool there we go andy hurley thank you so much for listening um this is the sex song wait enjoy Yeah.